This album is dedicated to all brothers and sisters. My men and my women. And yo, it's time. Put our hands together for hell, hell, hell. Cause who I'm talking about, y'all, is hip hop. The stories of hip hop, of rap music, are the stories of a million MCs who inside of them the words are coming, the words they need to make sense of the world around them. The words are witty and blunt, abstract and linear, sober and fucked up. And when we decode that torrent of words, by which I mean really listen to them with our minds and our hearts open, we can understand their world better, and ours too. It's the same world. This is Rhymes and Reasons. Dave Stovall, born and raised here in Chicago. Teach at University of Illinois at Chicago. Been there for about 11 years. Also, am a, my official title is Volunteer Social Studies Teacher at Lawndale Little Village School for Social Justice. Been over there since 05. And I'm really just trying to make the connections between uh, the lives of young folks and the realities of the day, and then ways in which to interrupt the common narratives that are shared around youth of color in urban space. Bang for your face, London! Everybody in the house, make some noise! I want everybody in the house to say, ho! Yo, Chuck, kick it to him, man! behind bars, or you could say real rock from the rock, an unusual musical happening in a most unusual place. The state prison have... Black Steel and the Hour of Chaos is not on the album that really got me on the PE. And I've always been a big fan of B-sides, so songs that are not so popular or not so much in the mainstream. I remember being in high school and one of my guys had a tape. And the tape was Yo Bum Rush the Show. And he was like, man, you up on PE? And I was like, man, I ain't really, I, ain't, I hadn't heard of them. So we were in like the gym for something like maybe some like school night, some pizza party or something. And he played it and this song came on called My 98. And I was like, damn, this shit is banging. I mean, that, like this just, I mean, this hypnotic beat. Oh, Chuck, they have to get us, man. Yo, we got the dust beat boys off. In this corner with the 98. That really kind of got me in to PE. But in high school, 1988, uh, that, I think that was Rap City's first year. And this comedian used to host it named Chris Thomas. And I remember I walked in the house and my dad happened, we had just got cable and my dad was playing cable and we were both watching Black Steel and Our Chaos. And I'm looking at the video and it's a prison riot. And there's Chuck D, Eric B and Rakim, a couple of my guys were huge Eric B and Rakim fans, and here they are in the video with him, and they're walking through this prison riot. 
when I heard Chuck D, I mean, that, that first line, I got a letter from the government. I'm like, oh, shit, he's talking about a draft notice. Damn. I got a letter from the government the other day. I opened and read it. It said they were suckers. They wanted me for their army or whatever. Picture me giving a damn. I said never. Here's a land that never gave a damn about a brother like me and myself because they never did. I wasn't with it, but just that very minute it occurred to me. The suckers had authority. Cold sweating as I dwell in my cell. How long has it been? They got me sitting in a state pen. I got to get out, but that thought was thought before. I contemplated a plan on the cell floor. I'm not a fugitive on the run, but a brother like me begun to be another one. Public enemy serving time, they drew the line, y'all. They criticized me for some crime. Nevertheless, they could not understand that I'm a black man, and I can never be a veteran. On the strength of situations unreal, I got a raw deal. So I'm looking for the steal. I remember my father watching it with me, and he was like, this is a heavy, this is a heavy song. And he could catch the lyrics. He was like, I thought hip hop was mostly party music. Damn, this is heavy. Saying I got a letter from the government the other day, open Reddit, said it was suckers, wanted me for the army or for, what, or for whatever, picture me giving a damn, I said never. And I was like, oh shit, this is intense. But it was the angst of the ways in which folks were feeling at that time, because it's the late 80s. The 80s hits folks hard. In many ways, like this current recession, you got the end of a lot of social service programming. You have a lot of particular cuts to community programming. You have this last bastion of deindustrialization, total switch to a service sector economy. This stuff is happening. And here's somebody who's really expressing how folks are feeling. And I'm saying to myself, damn, he's really caught it. So Black Steel in the Hour of Chaos, Karis ones by any means necessary. Then there was a station here in Chicago called WHPK, which is still around. UFC um, used to run a guy named JP Chill and another dude named Icebox, who we were the DJs. I tuned in to BMX and Tate Farley or the Tone Master. Took the six instead of the 28 to get home faster. Then HPK was the only station that would fuck with rap. You was on the show by yourself, cast and say up your hat. What you could you make of it? You was a gump, they take your shit. Either fight or break for it. We go to the lake and get full. And, you know, they would play Last Poets. They would play the Watts Prophets. They would play Amiri Baraka albums, Nicky Giovanni albums, and they would, then they would blend it in with hip hop. Those spaces where you could kind of hear that underground sound because before hip hop, I was really into house music. And house music being that underground culture and that you know, going to these certain spots, you could only hear certain songs there. I was always attracted to that in terms of music. You know, what are those underground sounds because the music that I was raised on was this underground sound, you know, disco music that nobody really played. And then these guys coming up with these elect electronic sounds that nobody had heard. These obscure European records like Kraftwerk and Liquid Liquid. been a fan of the way in which lyrics and beats combine to make a piece of music and that was really kind of fascinating to me about hip-hop the way folks could like really rhyme within a beat i think that was the most fascinating thing about hip-hop to me this is one scene with flavors on the phone 
and uh, and you just I remember that loop got 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 me in a cell. The imagery connected with the lyrics, connected with the beat because the beat was haunting, right? And it was this uh, bomb squad beat, and there's uh, and it's a piano riff. It's Isaac Hayes. It's Isaac Hayes. Uh, how about a soul, right? So that do 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 do, and that I mean, and just that riff, and you just hear it like, oh. Don't you know they got me rotten in the time that I'm serving, telling you what happened the same time they're throwing four of us packed in a cell like slaves. Oh well, the same motherfucker got us living in his hell. You have to realize what is a form of slavery organized under a swarm of devils. Straight up, where them up on the level. at that time was so influential that song and what that song captured the title it wasn't just some random title party music or everybody get up you know it was black steel in the hour of chaos and then having that voice and then at the end of the first verse you know and i'm i'm going for that steel and you just like a broken bar in the prison riot is that steel like that's what i'm grabbing like look at thinking about that like they he put a whole lot into that song. I really maybe listen to hip hop differently. sounded like him. He didn't have that type of lyrical prowess as Rakim because Rakim was almost like a hip-hop mystic, if you will. He had this smooth approach, but he had these 
lyrics that will make you stop and say, what did he say? I take seven MCs, put them in a line, and add seven more brothers who think they can rhyme. Well, it'll take seven more before I go for mine. Now that's 21 MCs ate up at the same time. Chuck D was more visceral. Right, so you heard you heard Chuck D and he was like, damn, I'm going for that steal. You know, oh, okay, yeah. But, you know, Rakim, you know, seven MCs. Call him, you know, he, you know, he's giving you kind of supreme mathematics in the lyrics. And you're just like, damn, this guy's really thinking who is this guy but for me chuck d was the voice and the visceral nature of his voice but also public enemy was kind of spectacle s1w's you had terminator x you had flavor flave and all of that happening at all at one time so when you saw that it was like whoa it's a whole whole bunch of stuff happening here and lyrically i think about chuck d because of the voice, because I think about the voice and his meter as part of the music. Chuck's voice and then that combination of those Bomb Squad beats, because I think that kind of layering of sound, it was almost like they were like the Phil Spectres of hip hop. All these walls, you know, some of those, you know, some of those songs had like 26 loops in it. And this is on, you know, essentially early digital equipment, right, in terms of kind of looping all those sounds. I mean, you know, samplers were pretty much two-track machines, so you putting all that stuff together and you're creating that kind of wall of sound. This was kind of, you know, Howard Beach was happening at this time. This was... Crown Heights, mm -hmm. uh, this is Tawana Brawley. I mean, you know, all of this stuff just kind of coming out. This is kind of when Al Sharpton comes back on the scene, the end of the anti-apartheid stuff, you know, on college campuses. So all this stuff is kind of coming into view, right? So Nelson Mandela gets released my senior year in high school. Mm -hmm. So this whole notion around looking at all of these things and all of these different machinations and it being actually portrayed in a particular way because him being an elder statement, I think that really helped the way he constructed songs. It actually was at a talk that he gave now about six, seven years ago. And he talked about that. He was like, you know, I came up, he said, people forget that I'm a little older. And he said, I came up. So when I was coming up, it was the end of Black Power, but I was old enough to remember those things. So he said, no, I had Black Panther newspapers. You know, I had, I knew who Mumio Abu-Jamal was when he was writing for the Black Panther newspaper in Philadelphia. You know, he knew who the, the Angola Three were. I mean, he, so these folks were very immediate to his memory. So music was essentially this tool, you know, to get a message out, which where younger cats who might have been much more visceral and much more into the culture of hip-hop in terms of just, you know, developing your rhyme skills and, you know, developing your b-boy skills, your graph work, your DJing. And I always think about this thing because this is around the time uh, that Nas came out with his album, Hip-Hop is Dead. And he said, you know, I really thought Nas's statement was interesting. And he said, but so I tell you, somebody asked me once when hip-hop died, and he said, when they put it on wax in 1979. I said, hip the hip, the hip, the the hip, hip hop, you don't stop the rocket to the bang, man, boogie, say up, jump the boogie to the rhythm of the boogie to beat. Now what you hear is not a test, I'm rapping to the beat. And me, the groove, and my friends are going to How do you put this kind of spectacle on wax? 
And Chuck D kind of brought that back, right? So it was spectacle, it was a show in terms of, and then the people associating that show with the music and vice versa. Him and really NWA. NWA and PE usually aren't given the same, usually aren't placed on the same plane. But just somebody saying, fuck the police, you know, and you feeling that like, hell yeah, fuck the police. You know, fuck you stopping me because at the time there was this dude in my neighborhood who was just terrorizing us. So when fuck the police came out, we were like, hell yeah, beat that shit to the man, play that shit to the highest high. Because these are the things that are happening. So it was this, it was this vivid depiction of black life in all of its complexity. They were saying stuff that people felt, but you rarely heard on wax. That you rarely heard on record. Even though if you go back to the, the 70s, I mean those parliament albums are extremely political. You know, they had an album called Chocolate City. Well, you know, the soul, the soul jazz movement and the black jazz movement, you know, the arc in New York City. I mean, so there was always this nature of, you know, this political writing in music. But as a young person, I thought it was reflective of the way in which, which I was feeling. So, you know, Curtis Mayfield, Isley Brothers, Hendrix in his later years, those were all the pieces that were influential to folks but hip hop reconfigured them, right? So taking a, a Hendrix loop and putting it in to a song or taking uh, Isley Brothers or... Uh, you Going back to Eric B. and Rakim, when I first heard Mahogany, I almost screamed, I almost screamed my throat out, right? Because I'm hearing, I'm so glad you're mine, but the way in which they looped it, and then the way he talked about him, he's giving, and I think that's always the gift, you know, hearing folks who can create and paint a picture, right? So that whole notion, you know, me and Eric B. was cooling at the Palladium, seen an all-world cover girl, and say, hey, lady, I'm sorry if you're in a rush. Don't let me hold you up or intervene or interrupt. I'm just like, damn. I mean, that's a, that's a whole conversation, right? Like, he's having this conversation with her, and I'm like, damn, listen to that. How you put that together. I mean, it was fascinating. Me and Eric B was cool and at the Palladium, seen an all-world cover girl. I said, hey, lady, I'm sorry if you're in a rush. Don't let me hold you up or intervene or interrupt. Got the look. I wanna get to know you better. I had to let her know. But yo, I didn't Every time I hear a particular song, I can locate where I was, right? Or where what was happening. So I always think about Yo Bun Rush's show in terms of study hall. I always think about a chemistry class that I was in with one of my guys who I still do some work with. His name is Marcus Murray. And he gave me this red tablet. And it was uh it was red book and it was called Selected Speeches of Malcolm X. And he was already, and his father lived in New York, so he would get all the all the hip hop and bring it back to school. Mm. So we would he would he would get Eric B and Rakim, and he you know he would have all this stuff that we couldn't get in Chicago until much later. So he had all this new stuff, and we would be playing, and be like, damn, Marcus got all the new shit. And he was also developing his consciousness. Both his parents were former Panthers, mm. so he gave uh, he gave me this piece, and he was like, man, you know. 
everybody is on king, but man, this is the shit that we need to be reading. So I'm in the back of chemistry class, like, you know, the chemistry teacher thinks I'm totally imbued in the lesson, and I'm like, shit, damn. So I'm reading Battle of the Bullet, I'm reading uh, Message to the Grassroots. And then another woman named Courtney Smith gave me a book uh, by H. Rod Brown called Die, Nigga, Die. The resonation of it, I was like, man, this is something that was written like 20 years ago, but it's so clear in terms of how you feel. And, and for me, it was articulating all this frustration and then what to actually do with the, fr with the frustration. That's my best for your face. Yeah, y'all, that's right. Rock that shit, homie. It allowed me to connect some things because in my house, I had Hurricane's autobiography, but I didn't know who he was, right? I had Black Rage Confronts the Law, you know, Man Child in the Promised Land. You know, these were all just regular books in the house, but I didn't connect them until I got to high school and said, damn, okay, there's something happening here, right? And let me, let me be a part of that. So what is, what is, what does justice mean? being in this high school and you know, working with Courtney, we started a black studies class, really. So hip hop was our rebel music. You know, it was that way of really saying, you know, you know, what society is putting out, we're not necessarily down with. You know, we, there's something else here. We may not know what it is, but there's something else. And, and this mainstream way that you all are telling us to live, we're just not having it. What are the things that have been unspoken? You know, where, where, the, where the spaces that we know to exist, but we haven't articulated to the masses or why are these spaces that have these attempts to articulate our story to the masses why are they still so restrained or repressed that was a huge that was a very influential time in my life in terms of where i started and then right after that going to college then i started working with young folks and really kind of understanding what it meant to do work beyond the rhetoric so that that was, a, was probably the most influential time in my life in terms of really kind of coming to consciousness. Yet our best trained, best educated, best equipped, best prepared troops refuse to fight. Matter of fact, it's safe to say that they would rather switch than fight. My high school was Luther High School South, right? You know, 87th and Kedzie. And then I went to the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. And there was a group of folks who had actually kind of marched on the university before I had come around divestment issues in South Africa. Then they also had stuff around representation of black faculty. They had also had stuff around not cutting presidential, this thing called a presidential award. So a week of being into college I was already at a protest on the president's lawn. And I met up with these guys from Detroit, and they were just like, man, look, you know, you know, what is it that you do? Because that's really where your work is gonna come from. And it always stuck with me because, you know, people who talk a lot and just kind of rhetoricize work, it's very, they have a very different conversation from people who do work, 
somebody who does this type of work, they have a totally different perspective. So working with young folks, always paying attention to what's relevant. That was a way for me to kind of keep my ear to the ground in terms of what was happening. But at the same time, still me trying to enact this notion of what does justice mean for myself and those who have historically, you know, not experienced justice in the fullest sense. Humanizing ourselves through our work, right? So what it is that we do is reflective of changing the human condition. Thinking about it not just ideologically, but actually thinking about it practically. You know, so what does it actually mean to have a system of self-worth, you know, to instill a system of self-worth with young folks? What does it mean to value oneself? and make informed decisions based on those values. You're blind, baby. You're blind from the facts on who you are because you're watching that garbage. Youth culture is constantly changing. The number one target group uh, by advertising companies now are teenagers because now teenagers have a different type of purchasing power that's changed over the last few years. And, and for me, it's always important to start with where they are. Where, how do they understand this thing to exist? And then together, can we bring a deeper analysis of it? From that deeper analysis, can we look at things that were done previously to inform our work? People who are in hip-hop studies or use hip-hop as a major theme in their coursework or what have you kind of get into a purist argument. For me, it's where are folks? So if, it's, if you listen to Gucci, okay, let's start with Gucci. Let's, let's analyze Gucci, right? Let's look at a video. Let's piece this thing out. Let's, let's start there. I'm not, I can't be dismissive of it, right? Because at the same time, you know, they might bring Gucci, Wayne, and then Immortal Technique. Right. So this whole notion around, OK, well, where does where does a mortal technique fit in this? Right. And know how do we understand it? But like I'm thinking about two years in particular over at the high school. Man, revolutionary volume one, man. Everybody seemed to have a copy of the thing. Like it was all high schoolers. And I was like, shit. You know, that one cut uh, poverty of philosophy and, you know, just kind of having folks think Not about what's actually happening. Most of Latinos are here because of the great inflation that was caused by American companies in Latin America. Aside from that, many are seeking a life away from the puppet democracies that were funded by the United States. Places like El Salvador, Guatemala, Peru, Colombia, Nicaragua, Ecuador, and La República Dominicana. And not just Spanish-speaking countries either, but Haiti and Jamaica as well. As different as we have been taught to look at each other by colonial society. So I had a student once who actually did a paper on Charles Mills' racial contract. And Charles Mills is arguing that, so he was arguing against Locke and Hume and saying that there's not a social contract, there's a racial contract. And in the United States and in the Western Hemisphere, we need to understand how that racial contract operates. She read that and she was like, damn. This is, this is what that means. So she was like, immigration, that's a racial contract. You know, so immigration reform or immigration policy isn't this policy. So we're not talking about, we're not necessarily talking about Polish folks here. You know, that's positioned in the media as this, as these policies against Latinos. Mm -hmm. She was like, health, she's like, healthcare, you know, that's a, that's a contract against poor people. 
right? So this whole notion around who deserves to be educated. And then she started to look at how we can internalize a racial contract. And she did this paper on Stockholm syndrome. So, I mean, she took this thing that she, I mean, she, she grabbed it and just ran with it. It was just like, kind of point to it. This is how this operates. So in order for something like the, the racial contract to exist, you have to have oppressed people encapsulated in it and performing its machinations. You have to have poor and oppressed people working in that space to show how much they hate themselves and then fool themselves around it being to their benefit. So this whole notion around, you know, you being so Stockholm syndrome is you know, you're here despite all of these things is because of your inability to do things for yourself. Right. And this punishment is because you can't do things for yourself. It's your fault. And you should be in this particular position. And now you working to enforce that. Right. This is somebody who is kind of hit this moment and said, oh, OK, this is this is how this operates. Right. And connecting it to our own life. It connected me because I thought about my chemistry class. But this was kind of the, instead of me ignoring what was happening in chemistry, it was her engaging what it was that I, we were talking about in class. And I was like, damn, that's the power of critical analysis and critical analysis put to action. But again, it's also an accountability in that, right? Because that's extra work. That's going against the grain. That's saying things that are not popular. That are saying things that get you even further persecuted. Mm -hmm. And, you know, going into that, understanding that hostility, you know, speaking about that hostility and not being fearful of it. As I ventured into the courtyard, followed by 52 brothers, bruised, battered, and scarred, but hard. Going out with a bang, ready to bang out. The power from the sky, from the tower, shots rang out. A high number of dose, yes, and something that a figure, I trigger my steel stand and hold my post. This is what I mean, an anti-nigger machine. If I come out alive, then they won't come clean. Then I threw up, my steel bullets flew up. Into my surprise, the wall and tower blew up. Who shot? What? Who? What? The bazooka was who? Into my rescue, it was the S1W. Secure my getaway, so I just got away. The joint broke from the black smoke. Then they saw it was rougher than the average bluffer. Cause the steel was black, the attitude exact. Now the chase is on, telling you to come on. 53 brothers on the run, and we are gone. Organized Infusion had a song with OC. The first single was called Fudge Pudge. And it was the, the again, that combination, like they were super lyrical. And then, and it was a high energy song. And then I went to Harlem in 92 and we went to Showtime at the Apollo. And they were the special guests. And I was losing my mouth. Oh shit, it's organized confusion. And I was like, damn. Pressure, 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 I leave the party with a mass amount of hookers. Slip, then slide out. I sleep the sludge. Fudge, 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 on that same album was releasing Hypnotical Gases, and it was just mind-blowing. First, for kind of like the, the way they used Bob James 1, and then kind of made it sound like a submarine. I'm like, damn. You know, Pharaoh Mark, I've always been a Pharaoh Mark fan since that album. He has a combination of his voice inflection 
and the way he rides a beat. It's very unusual. You don't hear a lot of that because he'll sometimes stop his rhyme and break out into a song and then come right back to a rhyme, which is very unusual. Now, dance hall artists do that where they get into their chatter and then they'll go into a song and then come back to the chatter. I always think about that connection of hip hop to dance all culture with the sound system or what have you. Listening to Pharaoh, I mean, it's just so many ways in which, because I've really kind of paid attention to his career and Prince Poe, but more so Pharaoh because of how he would conceptualize things. Hearing that release him out of the gas, I was like, oh my God, what is this? You look from which forth I come, riding the wind, thus eliminating competition from bird's eye view. I'm descending in helicopters in a village raid. Flesh will burn when exposed to the poetical germ grenade. I'm highly intoxicating your mind when I'm operating on cell walls to membranes, cytoplasms, and protoplasms disintegrate. I'm eliminate. I'm not on one atom in battle. I display a nuclear raid that'll destroy bone marrow and cattle, thereby destroying the entire food supply that's crawling with AIDS. I mean, that's the lyrics, you know, as you look from lost one I come, riding on wind, thus eliminating competition from first eye view. Um, descending in helicopters in a village raid, flesh will burn when exposed to the political germ grenade. I'm highly intoxicating your mind when I'm operating to cell walls to membranes, cytoplasms, and protoplasms. I'm like, what the fuck? I mean, no, I'm saying to myself, Jesus, are you hitting? I'm like, what is this? Dude? Who is this dude? And what he's talking about. So he's put in a periodic table. He's put in the, the nervous system. He's talked about flesh burning like Asian orange. So I was like, man, this dude is in heavy thought. What's happening? And then the album right after that, Stress, he has a song called Straight Bullet. Just the ability to construct a story, but also this kind of blues tradition of kind of telling a story in a particular way that's so palpable. A lot of cats will just kind of push organized confusions away for that. That's hip-hop for backpackers or heads or what have you. But it was just like, man, catch that lyricism. So mind-blowing to me in terms of like being able to put all that together and to construct a story in the song. Fucking Greek by fucking family. They follow behind me in an orderly fashion, bashing through flesh and wild, crashing through the doors. I project always to the fleck over the tiles. I'm coming for you, little girl. Once inside, I shatter your world, swirl. No more dreams, no hopes when I spray. You better pray to the Pope or the Vatican before I go rat again. I'm mad again, brother. Somebody's mother will be sad again. But whose blue skies will turn gray from the attack of the Mac 11? They had party music, they had conscious music, they had just battle, they had battle rhymes, and I was just like, damn, and these dudes are doing it. For heads, you know, Pharaoh Monk has always been a champion, and he always does these things where he has this combination of party cuts, these really kind of strange, I just call them like sex songs, and then this really kind of conscious music. So his newest album is called War for We Are Renegades. And the first cut on the album is called Calculated Amalgamation. And I'm like, damn. And how he's he's rhyming very subtly, kind of flatly, over this just high energy guitar riff. And I'm saying I was like, wow, this dude, I mean he's he's so thoughtful in the production of his work. Determine his damage psychologically. 
you still manage to gain a new perspective on the terms around yourself with greatness. Found myself standing in the room for the mirrors. And even my reflection. People's lives are complex, right? So they're not we're not these monoliths, right? So you you're occupying a lot of different spaces. And I think he always puts that on his albums. You know, all these very different spaces that will get folks talking in one way, having to pay attention to uh what it is that he's talking about. I always think about him and uh Raekwon. Vivid. Him and Ghost put these vivid stories together. But then you listen to Ghost sometimes and he has the most misogynistic music ever. And you're like, Ghost, who broke your heart when you were a shorty, man? Damn. I mean, Jesus. Now it's become a rarity. But that lyricism really kind of putting, bringing a thoughtfulness in the music. And I think like releasing Hypnotical Gases was just that cut because it's not, it's not a danceable cut. You know, it's, it's, like, it's this kind of head nod cut and you just like, listen, like, oh, just the lyrical prowess of that song is so captivating because, you know, sometimes you don't even catch all of what he's saying, right? And it just, it makes me think about the continuum of Pharaoh, you know, all of his stuff, the, the songs that really kind of make me pay attention, like Stray Bullet, like Desire, like So Good like calculated amalgamation, right? So all of these things that are really gripping you and uh, forcing you to pay attention in a very particular way. He has a song called When the Gun Draws, and it's really about you know, what happens when young folks can get a hold to a weapon and not have any consciousness about their own lives or the lives of others. You know, he has this one song on his newest album called Shine, and he's, he talks about, this is one lyric he says, because my mama can't afford whole foods. She breaks the fast of the day and calls it soul food. And you're just like, damn. You know, some people are saying, you know, you need to eat healthier, you know, well, go organic. And you're like, well, shit, man, on the block, that's, you know, that's hard to do when shit is hella expensive. There are healthier things that we can do, of course. But at the same time, you know, chiding folks for doing one thing ain't gonna get you anywhere. A lot of my work is around looking at the connections. So where, where, where the connections in justice work, but also making those connections salient with high schoolers, undergraduates, master students, and PhD students. I feel like each space informs the other, and I think hip hop has been influential in that because it, it provided me a lens uh, by which to interrogate my world, but from a deeper perspective. It built upon it. It allowed me to build upon a critical lens, my critical lens. I, don't, I never look at hip-hop as escape, as an escapist music. I always look at it as this notion around bringing things into perspective. Even as spiritual as an experience as house music was, and in many ways is, it's still not as an escape. It's this kind of spiritual connection, unity in engaging the culture, but not kind of looking at that superficially, but saying, no, this is all music of struggle, right? You know, so house music comes into being because, you know, mainstream clubs wouldn't play it. So, you know, the uh, gay clubs on the, you know, in Boys Town would play it, you know, and a couple of juice bars in the, wet, in the South Loop would play it. And this became these gatherings of spaces where people were not accepted. You know, in the mainstream and hip hop, the same thing, you know, this response to urban renewal, you know, the 
South Bronx almost being burned to a crisp and folks coming up with this response or this creative response to their containment and other troubles. And again, going back to the, this kind of blues tradition, being music of struggle, you know, not always about struggle, but engaged, deeply entrenched in struggle in terms of the desire of young folks to express themselves despite the conditions. Oh, 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 oh